This is episode 31 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus mountains of Russia. My name's Andrew. And I am Eli, and we are getting to the end of this hot, sticky summer. That's right. You know, actually, it's been pretty nice here. Well, I'm not there. But where are you? Where are you right now? I'm across the. Yes, we're recording at a distance again. Cue Bet Midler, is it from a distance? That was. I don't know. I don't know why that song. Let's not even go there. First time we've ever cued Bet Midler. Hashtag Bet Midler. Check the tags. Um, I am from the hot, sultry south in the U.S., uh, where uh, my travels have taken me. Uh, okay. And it is, yeah, hot and sticky here, but I'm glad to hear it's not been so bad there. It has been a pleasantly mild August. Not everyone can say that. Mildly pleasant, I think that's what mildly I wanted pleasant. to say. Yes. Okay. Well, hey, we've got a great episode, like always, on tap for you today. <laughs> um, mainly because there's going to be other be- people talking most of this episode. Uh, but we got some... House cleaning notes? Yes. Let's yes. hear it. Let's so on the website every now and then in our show notes you'll see a little section of errata. That's the like fancy word for <laughs> we asserted it with all of our being, but found out later it's actually not true. So what have we got for today? Yes, so two two errors in recent episodes that were humbly brought to my attention. <laughs> So first, the other night, um, my wife and I, it was late, we were laying in bed, and we were discussing former Soviet presidents, of all things. As many of our listeners do. (laughs) It was exciting. It was really exciting. (laughs) Um, But it turns out, so you remember, I don't even remember what episode this was, but we were talking about sister cities between the Caucasus. Oh, I remember. You're not going to burst my bubble, are you? And I had this crazy theory that Mikhail Gorbachev was the reason that all these little cities in Iowa have sister cities in the North Caucasus. It was a former Soviet president, but it was Nikita Khrushchev 30 years before Gorbachev. Oh, well. Yes. I was close. That does strain the theory a touch. Right century. Right century. (laughs) You know... (laughs) Yeah, he uh, he. But what's interesting is he was visiting the U.S. He did like a U.S. tour in 1959, visited Iowa State University, and was absolutely amazed at some of the like agricultural um, techniques and equipment. Your wife may be factually correct about who it was, but my, (laughs) I'm remain impressed. Okay, your theory no longer works because I doubt those. I don't know. Maybe the sister cities dug way back to the fifties and were like, Hey, let's, but you know, the seeds, the proverbial seeds were planted. Speaking of agriculture. That's amazing. All right. See what I did there. So way to be, uh, yeah. Rise above it. Rise up, man. Okay. It was my, my fake theory that I espoused should have attributed the sister city relationships to Khrushchev, not to Gorbachev. Okay, but that's what hypotheses are all about. So it's been disproven. Great. Okay. I I can live with that. Okay. My head is high. That's one. Number two, this was a great correction because we heard from a listener about this. Ooh, even better. Do we know the person? Yeah. Yeah. So this is Mark from the UK. Oh, yeah. Hi, Mark. Uh, Checking in. Um, 
big fan of his. He's been uh, giving us comments on Facebook and uh, listening to our episodes, emailed us. So uh, I just want to, I'm going to just read what he wrote me because it's great. Um, so we, our last episode we released was about football or soccer in the North Caucasus. And I quoted a lot of facts that I was pretty confident about. Uh huh. It got a little confusing with all the leagues in the history. And someone out and there so knew better. Okay. At one point, I said that the Moscow club, Seska, C S K A, Seska, won the European Champions League, which is for the top club teams in Europe. But they actually won the Europa League, mm. which was, it's like the second tier. Mm. European Club League. Then it was had by a different name, okay. the UEFA League, the UEFA Cup. But well, uh, I'm gonna. Mark said, "Yeah, what, what did uh, he say? I, can I just quote what oh, Mark yeah, said? Please. He said, "Good, good effort on it. <laughs> I know it's not easy for Americans to chat about football <gasps> or soccer." Oh, that was kind. So, Mark, you were right. It isn't easy. Well, Andrew, us. not only was it not easy, <laughs> I'm gonna pretend that I remember that you said those things and go. Oh, that's what it was. You know, something didn't something set right with me there. about that part. It might have been because <laughs> I was reading while you were. T- no, I wasn't. I was. I was listening. Um, Mark, way to go! Yeah. So, uh, anyways, thanks for the correction. And if you hear a mistake we made, <laughs> or if you have a question, if you highly uh, doubt yeah, something if- that we assert. <laughs> Please, Please let, us, let us, know. us know. Our wives can't and do can all of do it. That. That's true. Um, so we announced this, I think, very recently, but we have a Facebook Indeed. page now. Indeed. S- check it out. Caucus Talk on, on Facebook. Facebook. Uh, we're slowly growing a viewer a day, <laughs> a fan a day. <laughs> hey. Yeah, but we're trying to, we're trying to post more content a um, couple times a week and basically have an avenue where we can interact with you uh, more than just asking you to email that's us. That's right. Cause, but for those of yep. you who do still email or use typewriters, that's still at podcast at caucustalk.com. Don't forget to check out our website, caucustalk.com. And um, I think those are all the avenues. Oh, and of course, a letter just addressed Caucus Talk Russia. Will come straight to us. <laughs> It'll get here. All right. Well, Andrew, <laughs> we do have something very cool that you put together. Um, in the last few weeks. So tell us about it. Yeah. Uh, it was awesome. We had our first Caucus Talk listeners visit the North Caucasus Woo! and meet up with us. Yeah. So uh, we'll just let the interview speak for themselves. But one was from uh, Kevin in the United States, and he summited Mount Elbrus successfully. Uh, and so I spent the day touring he and his friend uh, around Pitigorsk and um, the interview is great. Uh, so yeah, we had, you'll be hearing from Kevin from the, the USA and then, um, got an email a month ago out of the blue from rich in the UK. And this email says, Hey guys, I love your show. And I am trekking through the entire Caucasus. Right now. Oh. Yes. So this was a really, really cool interview. And, uh, right now, as we are, like live recording this, he is in Azerbaijan heading towards the Caspian Sea to finish. That's his trip. like so legit. 
Well, yeah. So can we, I mean, yeah, it's really is he cool. coming back. We have to we have to get him. I mean, no, this guy. We we talk about as we're going to promote in the interview his YouTube page and his Instagram awesome. handle. Uh, but yeah, great interviews. So um, yeah, it's just really neat. I think you'll enjoy both interviews, despite um, the bad sound quality. Not I did with not Eli so not bad, present. but but I do just want to to wet our <laughs> listeners' whistles. <laughs> That's a little awkward. Um, there is some fun um, field recording going on from where from the location that you, <laughs> you chose to do these interviews. So I'll let that just go. Why don't we frame it that way? This is a long, long field, field recording. recording. It is. Not a podcast. Right. This is not in studio. All right. Let's get <laughs> after it. We are recording live from almost Pitygorsk, Russia, in a Russian banya. And I have with me the first Caucasus Talk listener who has visited us here in the North Caucasus. Give it up for Kevin and Justin. Woo! Yes. <laughs> clap, 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 clap. Man, so we have had, they've had an epic week and we've had an epic day. And so, uh, Kevin, Justin, why don't you guys introduce yourself real quick and we're going to talk about your experiences here in the Caucasus the last week. Okay, so I'm Kevin Abernethy. Um, I live in Mobile, Alabama in the yes, U.S. Deep South representing. There you go. And uh, I'm Justin Dickey and uh, I'm here from Utah. Awesome. So Kevin actually reached out to us last year. I think, Kevin, you were the first podcast listener we ever heard from. And so you have a special place in our hearts. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Kevin reached out. He actually answered a trivia question on the podcast about Mel and Elbrus. And then um, he was the brainchild, actually, for our Mel Elbrus series, if you listen to that, episodes 15 to 18. So anyways... Kevin and Justin just summited Mount Elbrus, the highest mountain in Europe. Guys, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. It was awesome. So just why don't you just tell us a little about your experience with it? You were just up there basically a week Mm -hmm. on the mountain. Tell us some of your experiences as far as climbing. You guys are pretty experienced climbers. You've climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. Um, uh, Tell us a little of your kind of climbing experiences after being here a week. Yeah, so this was a uh, this was a really neat mountain. You, we were we were talking about it, comparing it to some other mountains we've climbed. You know, we did Mount Rainier a few years ago, which is in uh, Washington State, there in the U.S. And Mount Rainier is a, a pretty technical mountain. It's ice and snow covered, um, and this mountain felt really similar. But Kilimanjaro is way higher, so so you huh. know, Mount uh, Rainier is only like fourteen thousand feet. So once you get to the elevation, it, it throws a whole other kind of wrench in the works of how you're going to breathe and how you're going to yeah. feel, where this was kind of combining the two. So it was like huh. Rainier at elevation is how we were both kind of talking about it. It felt like it had that technical aspect of being on the ice and snow, yeah. but you couldn't breathe because you were, you know, 18,000 feet. Wow. Man. Would you add anything to that, Justin? Uh, no. <clears throat> Pretty accurate um, as far as the depiction of the two. Um, it had its own challenges as far as acclimatization. Uh, compared to some of the other mountains, um, wind uh, was definitely mm. more aggressive uh, here wow. at Elbrus uh, than other mountains we've climbed. And uh, but it was overall, it was a great experience. Good yeah. time to climb. Yeah, so we got to the mountain. We we started on the kind of like a chairlift system. Took us three different chairlifts to get to what yep. we call base camp. Yep. So you know, first day in that Cheget area, we we kind of did an, kind of an acclimatization hike and went up the Cheget Mountain, I guess. That's right. Hiked around there. Yep. 
and then uh, the next day went up to, to base camp. Um, from there, we did a few different things. We hiked up to the Pashakov Rocks. Yep. Pashakova or Pashakova? I hear it both ways. I think it's uh, Pastakova. Okay, Pastakova, if you, you got it, say man. it correct. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> rocks, and then we uh, hiked back down from there to you know, really allow your body the time it needs to acclimate because that's, that's just really important, that elevation. Um, you know, so you guys, like listeners, if you're listening, if you're a tourist like I am, <laughs> you drive up to Elbrus, you rise from, from the Mineral Naval the airport, you go from like 1,000 to 8,000 feet in elevation in that three-hour drive. Then if you take all the cable cars up to the base camp, that takes you, I think, to 14,000 feet, maybe 13,000. It's about 12,800. 12,800. So if you're not climbing Elbrus, you can still get that high just to check it out. And then you guys actually climbed all the way up, is it 18,500 yep. feet? Yeah, 18,500. Yeah. Man. Wow. <clears throat> so how about, how about the actual climb day? Like, what was the experience like? So on the actual day, we woke up at, well, you don't actually go to sleep. It's hard to sleep <laughs> on a pre-summit day, so... You know, we, we kind of you know, have your nerves, you're kind of getting ready, you're checking your gear. I think we laid down at what, about 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock? Yep. And we all just kind of laid around, and there's like, there's, like, there's like a pod we slept in up there. So you were in the infamous barrel huts? We were we camp. were not. We were in another hut. Oh, ah, okay. It was like a Connex box mm-hmm. with some beds in it. There'd be about eight beds in there, and they'd bunk you up with other people. Five-star accommodations. Yeah, basically you're sleeping <laughs> on uh, some two-by-fours with uh, <laughs> a little pad on top of it. I, I will add this. Just at the beginning when we first got here, we were really nervous about You look at the bedding in some of these climbing situations, mm-hmm. and it's like, I know that hasn't been washed. So I was like, you know, get my sleeping bag. I'm going to sleep in the sleeping <laughs> bag on top. I'm not touching the bedding. You know, five days in, you're like snuggling into that pillow and oh, using man. that blanket, and you're like, hey, it's probably fine. <laughs> That's all. You're gonna miss that bed back back in America. Smelling those forty climbers before you, it doesn't it doesn't phase you one bit. You just, you just get it. so tired. So you, you got a good night's sleep the so night before the climb. You got a good night's sleep. And you wake up every half an hour, and then about one o'clock, you you finally get out of bed and say, "All right, we got to get going." Um, so we had there's different ways to do it. You can hike straight from the huts the whole way. A lot of people take uh, the cat up higher. In our case, we had hiked up the day before or day, two days before, to those rocks. And so I, I really felt like I didn't need to see that same part of the route again. It wasn't, it's not an overly challenging part of the route. It's just kind of a long, boring walk. Right. Um, so we, we opted to take the cat um, back up to basically where we ended Which previously. Is, in layman's terms, it's like a big snow army tank, basically, that takes you up, carries 10, 15 people, right? Yeah, they load it up with people. Um, and it's kind of interesting. You get on this thing, and you're wearing crampons, and for anyone who doesn't know what that is, those are kind of like metal spikes you're wearing on your shoes. Yeah. makes it really hard to walk. And so now you're trying to climb onto basically large industrial equipment wearing these metal spikes. Not intended for this purpose, you can tell. Um, you get on, they load your backpacks, and they just kind of cramp everybody together. Um, kind of a fun part that I wasn't expecting <clears throat> is half the passengers are, are facing down the hill, and half are facing up the hill. Uh-huh. You're just on these like wooden benches. The hill's pretty steep, and as soon as it starts going up, I was—I had the luxury of uh, facing downhill, and all of a sudden, I was doing everything I could to not fall on the dude in front of me, wow. because it was just steep and bumpy, and you're just kind of like nothing to hang on to, so you're trying to like hang on to a wooden bench, and you've got all your gear and you know crampons on, and it was, uh, it was a very long ride of mm. trying to not fall on the person in front right. of me. 
But you made it. We did. There was there was a moment of scare though. So we were up, going up pretty high, and all of a sudden it kind of stopped. We were about three quarters of the way up, and uh, the the driver seemed to have gotten stuck. Oh wow! And so we're sitting there, kind of spinning our tracks, and he's he's turning the machine left and right and wiggling it back and forth. And where we were at, there was kind of a little ledge that dropped down, probably like five six feet. Mm. And for us as passengers look at that and goes that's a pretty big drop off right there wow but he keeps wiggling it back and forth then all of a sudden he turns it and goes right down that incline and you feel the whole thing kind of start to tip shift and i'm thinking okay how do we get off this thing this thing this is going to be the end of our climb we're going to have this giant piece of industrial equipment land on us Uh but one of the guys stands up and says do not worry it's okay (laughs) just Uh, like that but how he said it there was a lot of confidence behind the tent. That is awesome. <laughs> so we bought in and just kicked back and relaxed the rest of the way up the hill. <laughs> like, all right, they've done this before. Um, it was funny. Once we got to the top, though, the driver said, well, well, coming back later, that same snowcat was right there. And I said, you guys leave it up here? And he said, it broke. We were like, like when we were on it? Yes, it can't go down. So oh, it goodness. broke exactly where we needed it to be wow. <laughs> to drop us off. <laughs> Broken that exact same spot. to find that out after you're out of the snowcat instead of in the moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so we got to our spot. We got our bags out, got our stuff, gear, and, uh, and you know, basically started trekking up the mountain at that point. Um, it's, it's dark. We had a full moon, which was awesome. Wow, cool. So it really helped us to not have to need, worry about the light too much. So it was actually pretty clear skies. Really, even really clear skies. That's awesome. Yeah. And then one thing we noticed is that it gets pretty daylight pretty early out here. Right. I mean, you're at 4.30 yeah, like a.m., 5 o'clock light. in the morning. Like, it's pretty clear to where so you need headlamps with a anymore. full moon at night, can you actually see some of the surrounding mountains? Uh, you can see all the silhouettes of them. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. Okay. You, you kind of see them there. And as the sun kind of gradually comes up, you start seeing all the mountains that is awesome, around yeah. you. <clears throat> and so that first pitch after the rocks, it's pretty steep, but it's just kind of, again, just kind of a boring, steep uphill climb, drudge, until you get to what they call the saddle. You know, so Elbers has the two peaks, and in between the two, you've got this saddle. So you traverse the face. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, this long, drawn-out, gradual okay. incline. Okay. Not too difficult or challenging. Uh, but, uh, on the, the face of it though, it's, it's the glacier. Gotcha. And so you're probably about, you know, thousand, fifteen hundred feet of just probably a prime ski run until you hit the end of that glacier. And then mm. it's, you know, some cliff edges right there. Wow. Um, so if you do trip along that, that face, you're going to have a long time to slide and think about what went wrong to make you trip. Are you like, you then guys you like hooked in to a rope? Not, not at this point. Okay. Not, at this, not at this point. So okay. you're just trusting yourself, your own kind of instincts. You got your crampons, you're making wow. sure you got good hold. Gotcha. Um, once you get into the saddle, it was kind of cool. The sun starts to come up and you can see the one peak in the sun and the other peak is still kind of in shadow. And one of the coolest things is when you're up on this, you know, face traversing, you see the shadow of Elbrus casting like on all the mountains around and you just wow. see this like awesome shadow look over everything um but you can just totally make out the shape of elbers it's a really cool scene okay um but you walk back get to the finally get to the the saddle there and at that point um you really it gets, gets more technical so that's where we put away our kind of our trekking poles and pull out our ice axe okay and you know you kind of go to work on that mm-hmm. um it gets steeper at that point and a little more technical um and they have fixed ropes Okay. So basically you've got a harness and you've got So the ropes are already there. You don't have to use your own Correct. kind of set for you. You have a rope on your own harness that you're basically prepared for, but you're, you're using that to hook into the fixed ropes that have been placed there previously. Okay. And I don't know if it's a 
one of the guide companies puts that up or government who puts that up. I don't know how that works, but, yeah. They, yeah. but there was fixed ropes. They check it to make sure they seem solid. They seem pretty good. And at that point, you're about, what, 17, 17, 5 on elevation-wise? Wow. Yeah. So you're, you're, st- yeah, you're, starting to, you're starting to feel it in your lungs a little bit. So at this time, what time is it? Um, you guys left around one thirty a.m. or 2. Yeah, so it's probably 8 a.m. at this point, 7.30 a.m.? Yeah. Fully fully light. Yeah. Yeah, fully light at this point. Are you able on this climb to kind of appreciate the view around you? Yes and no. You you take <clears throat> breaks every little bit because you just can't keep going. Right. And so you take a break and you look around and you just see, you know, how amazing it is. When you're on that back side of the mountain, it's not quite as impressive as the front side where you see all into Georgia and all mm-hmm. those mountains. But it's still you can kind of pause and look. But when you're actually walking and climbing, you kind of need your focus. Yeah. You know, it's really important that you've got three points of contact at all times. So it's, you know, making sure your ice axe has got a, a strong purchase huh. before you lift up your foot. Okay. And then you're, you're kind of constantly going through this mental game of, you know, where am I going to put my ice axe? Okay, where am I going to put my feet? And you're trying to copy the people in front of you because it makes it easier. Someone else has already poked a hole gotcha. with their axe. You kind of want to try to get to their same spot. Right. But you just kind of slowly work your way up. And you do what we call in climbing like a rest step. So okay. it's like step, breathe, step, breathe. Okay. So it's just, it looks slow and stupid if you were just to watch someone. But... It makes you keep being able to go. Otherwise, yeah. you just burn out of energy wow. way too fast. Mm-hmm. And the wind really started picking up at this point. So that's where I felt like you really just started getting hammered with the wind. <laughs> and, you know, with the fixed lines, the way they work is there's posts every couple hundred feet or so that basically the fixed line's tied into. So you have to get off that fixed line and onto mm-hmm. the next fixed line. Gotcha. So you got two carabiners and you unhook on one side, hook on the other side, and then rehook on the other side. Yeah. So that way you're always always hooked in. But you kind of have this these bottlenecks that happen, and so you get to enjoy the view at the bottlenecks as well. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah, and nice. if you're anything like me, I uh, I always take a step back and admire the view and use that as my resting resting time. <laughs> just and, and pretend view, pretend that I'm using that time to I'll appreciate right the view when really I'm just trying to recover. <laughs> Got your so, chest puffed out. Yeah. Just, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I just want to enjoy this beautiful scenery. <laughs> Man, I wonder if based on y'all's descriptions of how to how you technically climb a mountain, if some of our listeners could climb Elbrus now. That was a great step-by-step instruction how to do it. There you go. Probably not, but <laughs> thanks thanks for the tips. They could do it. And, and basically after that, the whole yeah, after the fixed ropes, you come to a section where you get off fixed lines. Um, it's still steep, but you're on the backside, and it's kind of big, wide-open face, and you can see the summit. You're just you're 15, 20 minutes from the summit. Wow. And then it's just just kind of a mental game of violence. A just, sprint from just there. get there <laughs> yeah. so we can be done. And, wow. and the wind kind of died down a little bit because you're on that backside. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of go up this this kind of steep piece, and right at the top, the wind just blasts just you at little, full speed. Wow. <clears throat> Nothing that protects you. It kind of felt like you walked into a bird's nest right at the, the peak. Yeah. There's probably enough room for maybe 10, 12 people up uh, there. Ah, okay. And the moment you crest and get to the, the summit, all of a sudden just this ice and wind and snow just... <laughs> blast your face like it's sandpaper and uh you know wind was blowing probably what 70 70 miles an my hour my goodness uh so there. like it could that could very easily knock you over oh you can feel it yeah you're yeah. falling people are stumbling you're you're constantly wow. bouncing off of guys that are up there so in case you had any yeah. inkling of enjoying your moment oh el bruce would not let you have it <laughs> not 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 too much but you want to right and and yeah the other challenge is you want to take pictures right but you got to take your gloves off to use your phone to take pictures unless wow. you got a camera I, I use my phone so it's like this balancing game of all right my hand's gonna freeze but I, but it's worth it because i need the pictures that is yeah. crazy so three to five minutes without a glove is 
This is about your limit. Wow. <laughs> At most. Yeah, and I, and I kept being worried my glove was going to blow away. I mean, you've got ropes, your rope glove's tied to you, but I just kept being like, I lose my glove, this is going to be bad news. Mm. Um, but we, you get up there, we took some took some pictures, you know, posed for the camera, and I, we were up top longer than I have been on other peaks, really. I bet we were up top for... 25. Solid 15, 25 minutes, something like that. Yeah, we, we really hung out and talked and took pictures. I mean, it was it was brutal, and we were you couldn't even hear each other. It was just blasted. But, <laughs> but it was like that moment of joy. I mean, that's what you worked for. It that's was like, awesome. wow, this is awesome. And the views up there are probably more rewarding than other mountains I've climbed. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Kilimanjaro had amazing views of all of Africa below you, but it was just, you're just higher than anything. It's you see the clouds. mountain, right. Where this, you just see, like, all these huge peaks that are just dwarfs, and they're Man. just smaller, and you're looking down at all these valleys, and... I mean, just really, really scenic. That's yeah. awesome. And you try to capture those moments through videos and pictures, but uh, the videos you take, um, you think you're screaming at the top of your lungs. <laughs> then you get back down off the mountain and you try and play it back, and all you hear is wind. And wow. you're like, you try to, you know, lip read your own, your own video that <laughs> wow. you, you made. But uh, it's, yeah, it's pretty fun. So it was good. So we, we made our summit, we did our thing. Um, our Russian guide started yelling at us after about 20 minutes that she wanted to get a picture with. For us, I guess she was trying to get everyone like, all right, get your picture and get off the mountain, basically, is yeah. where she was headed. Yeah. You know, she hadn't want to get everybody down, so she took our picture for us, and uh, and we headed down. She wanted us to all get off the summit but not go too far so she could basically regroup us and kind of talk about okay. you know, plans. Uh, once we got down back to the ropes, we kind of just did the whole thing in reverse, right? You go back down. And, gotcha. You know, one of the things a lot of mountaineers get in trouble on, especially inexperienced mountaineers, they give everything they can to get to the top. And they don't realize the top's halfway. Wow. And once you're there, yeah, you're not done. That's a really good point. You have to go back down. Yeah. And people get, are out of gas, and they get up top, and they get in trouble. You know, statistically, there's way more serious injuries and fatalities going down the mountains than ever going up. Wow, that's yeah. so interesting. People just, they just, they, they don't think about it. Huh. And they run out of gas. Yeah, it's actually more difficult on the descent. You huh. know, gravity's, you know, working. Right. Working with And you. your body's probably And your body less wants to give in to gravity yeah. you know, after all that. And, huh. uh, and it's just as important. You've got to make sure you've got good purchase with your ice axe. you got to make sure your crampons are well-placed and you've got you know, real good <coughs> grip on the ice the whole time. I mean, there's several places that if you fell, I mean, it'd be a bad day. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, most of the time you're on that steep part, you're on the lines, which helps. But even that, uh, we did have one guy fall on our team going down, and that was right after the lines, right? Yeah, he just finally unclipped, but there was still like a, a sloped section that probably ran maybe 150, 200 feet. Yeah. And he wow. slid He slid about, I would say, half that. Wow. And then, uh, I mean, but there was really no, I don't I don't think there was any serious He, he was kind of sliding towards the saddle. It was going gotcha. into the saddle. Okay. Uh, if anything, it would be because he hit a rock or yeah. a chunk of ice on the way down. But it was uh, a pretty steep slope that would just gradually run its course and pan out. But... Uh, and the thing is, you know, experienced climbers also, you're trained to self-arrest. I mean, that's what your ice axe is for in addition to helping you up is, you know, there's you can stop yourself. You can mm. carve your axe in and, and get yourself back where you're in control. Mm. So you're kind of constantly thinking that, making sure you get your axe where it needs to be and you Man. can stop yourself if something goes wrong. Um, but we all made it off the ropes. And at this point, there actually kind of was a bit of a, a bit of contention. Uh, I would say there was confusion uh, there amongst... <laughs> It's a better way to say not, it. Yes. Not, not just politically correct. Yeah, more more confusion amongst the climbers. So you guys were a part of a group. Of yeah. Yes. Yep. And one of the climbers tended to he wandered off. Yeah. He saw some other people walking down the mountain, and so <laughs> he ended up, you know, falling in line and following these people off the mountain. Uh. And one of our guides saw it, <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> she's this little five foot two feisty 
feisty lady, and she just took off sprinting to, to reel him back into the wow. group. He wow. was probably 200 yards away. And just put a perspective, point. it's hard to walk at 17,000 feet. You don't sprint. And this lady was just sprinting across the, 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 the saddle. Russian there. firepower. And, and you know, part of it is, I mean, she, she's going back up the mountain like two days from now. I mean, that's her life. She lives on that mountain. Yeah. And so yeah. she's just, her acclimatization is so much greater than ours. Wow. Yeah. Um, but there was that, and there was a lot of feelings of people wanting to go faster, and some of the people were just out of gas and were like, like I'm sure I'm going to be able to get down. Yeah. Then people like myself, that was, I was, was kind of anxious to just get off the mountain. Right. I felt good. I wanted to be done. Did the deed. I didn't really want to wait for people. So there was a little bit of that. So eventually, after the fixed lines, they said, all right, let's split up. If you feel like you're faster, you can go ahead. If you feel mm. like you're kind of middle, you stay here. If you really need help, stay with us. So I, I actually kind of jumped ahead with the faster group and uh, had one of the guides with us. And he walked this for a while. And after a little bit, he said, uh, I think we're getting too far ahead. We got to stop. And then he said, it's not hard to get down. Do you guys want to keep walking? So me and a couple other guys that I met on the climb, we, we went down the rest of the way ourselves. But once we got down, um, it was kind of interesting. No one else was there. Uh, we got to the base camp and the, we had a cook that was there making us food every day and she made us lunch and we kind of thought well, everyone will be here in a minute and you know no one came and about an hour later <laughs> justin walked into camp wow yeah. um i felt kind of bad i thought he was not that far behind me or he was with people and then apparently i just well the mountain. one one of the things <laughs> i always be mindful of is uh nutrition on the mountain uh if you're not putting those calories in mm. you just you end up feeling it and so kevin and i we left with the faster group and then we got to uh the the rocks well, that that snow field. Yeah, uh, we got to those rocks, and uh, I just started feeling drained. Yeah, I was like, I feel like I haven't been drinking, and it turns out at the breaks, I realized that at the breaks, I spent my time talking to everyone about what we just did, <laughs> and I didn't eat or Man. drink anything on the wow. way down. And so by the time I got down into the, it started to, to warm up during the day, right? And I just felt zapped of all energy, and so I was just like, Hey, you guys go ahead. I'm going to just sit here and have lunch. <laughs> And so I sat at the, the, the top where the cat broke down, gotcha. had myself a little snack, got some food and calories in me. And by that time, he was pretty far ahead. Huh. And so I was just like, all right, you know, I'll just take my time coming down this mountain. And, you know, meandered my way down and okay. so took, short- took in all the all the, the scenery as I came down nice. and showed up probably about an hour. Yeah. After, yeah. And shortly after Justin got there, uh, another snow cat rolled in and had basically the rest of the team. Gotcha. I mean, ton of people sitting on this thing and they looked like they'd been through the ringer. Yeah. People were <clears throat> beat up and uh, getting off the snow cat. I think you actually said at some point people were dragged. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to head this. So, so some of them get <laughs> off and I start saying, hey, you guys made it. How's it already feeling? And uh, one of the girls, a girl from Germany that was climbing with us said, my stomach really hurts. And I said, from what? And she said, well... Anna dragged me down the mountain. And I said, wait, what do you mean? She dragged you down the mountain. She said, well, I was going slow. And I didn't feel good. So she asked me to lay down and put my ice axe between my feet. And then she took a rope and bound my feet up around it and put the rope over her shoulder and said, let's go. Wow. And started pulling. She said, she tried to kind of protest. And I guess our guide said, uh, I do this all the time. You'll be fine. Just lay down. Let me know if, it, if it's uncomfortable. And she said that she was trying to like sit up and her, her abs were just getting like flexed oh for an hour. Oh my goodness. Did a sit up workout on, uh, on Elbrus on the way down. <laughs> but she said uh, it got her down. She was grateful for it. And it was kind of funny. I was, I was kind of giving her a hard time about it. And she said, well, I wasn't the only one. And I said, wait, there was more? And she's like, yeah, there was two other people that got pulled down too by the wow. other guides. Just like that. So uh, like apparently that. that was a common thing. And you know, we had an English roommate that was staring our, sharing our camp up there, and he was telling me, I just wish they would have pulled me down. I, I was really sad that no one offered to pull me. I was dragging. I was tripping. And he was in bad shape. I mean, he was thrown up by the end. And I just felt really bad for him. It's a funny story. So we get, they finally get into camp, and they're like, just everyone's dead. 
And I'm trying to be helpful. I'm feeling a little more energized. I've already gotten down an hour earlier and rested and ate lunch. So I was trying to help kind of get people's bags and things. Yeah. So this, this one a roommate of ours, he goes and lays down on his bed, and I mean, he's just out of gas. And then you start hearing a guide yell, anyone who rode the snowcat, we need you to come out now to pay. And then he was like, just sitting there, and I said, hey, is that, is that you? Do you need to go pay? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, do you want me to bring the money out? No. <laughs> and he's laid there, and the guy's yelling, someone's not out here. They owe the money. And he's just not moving. And I'm like, I think you need to go pay. He's like, I just don't want to get up. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, you, you think you give these guys a few minutes to relax before you start demanding payment. But uh, snowcat drivers, they're a, they're a mean business. They want their money. So I finally convinced him to get out of bed. I'm like, I, I can take it out for you. He's like, no, it's buried in my bag. It's fine. He got himself out and went and paid. Oh, but it man. Was, I felt bad for the guys. He's clearly exhausted and has some Russian lady yelling at him. He needs to get out of bed to pay. It's amazing what that does at that altitude to your body, to the human body. Absolutely. That you just can't move, basically, afterwards. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> exhausting. But it was great. I mean, it was a great day, really successful. We all made it at the top. And, I mean, really, that was one of the most scenic summits I've stood on. Cool. I mean, beautiful, beautiful area. The whole time, like, especially on the fixed lines, I just kept thinking, this is so cool. Yeah. I'm so yeah. grateful to be here. I'm That's so grateful awesome. I didn't skip on this opportunity yeah yeah the for sure the caucasus mountains are especially from that vantage point one of the most beautiful mountain ranges in the world um well guys congratulations thank you again appreciate it it's awesome all right so you guys climbed el bruce did the deed um you're two peaks down you got five more to go to get the top seven in the world but we just had maybe an even more memorable experience <laughs> here in Pitigorsk. Um, tell our listeners what just happened here in the last three hours. Well, we uh, had our first experience with the Russian banya. Banya, that's right. And uh, it was definitely... Uh, you were a little skeptical, Justin, in the beginning. <laughs> uh, a little bit. I mean, in what regards? <laughs> Let's paint the picture. I, I go to Justin and I say, hey, so I met this guy online, kind of. Well, he has a podcast and I email him and he emails me back. And we've been emailing back and forth for like a year. And Justin says, so he's like your pen pal. And I go, yeah, kind of. He's my pen pal. And, he goes, and I go, so we're going to go hang out with him. And he goes, well, what, what's the plan? And I said, uh, well, I guess we're going to this banya, banya thing. And he said, what is that? I don't know. I know I need swimsuits. Um, the way it's supposed to be cool, it's like the local thing to do. So I didn't sell it maybe as well as I could have. Uh, so he was rightfully a little hesitant. Well, I mean, it's just uh, as far as information, there just wasn't much shared. Um, oh, I do, I do have it a really was, hey, there's this guy we're going to meet. He's going to take us to a place in the middle <laughs> of, of the woods. And, <laughs> We're gonna sound safe. Hang Wait, out. I got a better story. I got to share. So, I, I we're talking about this, and I go, "Hey, let me email Andrew and ask him something." I don't remember what I asked you. I was gonna text you and ask you something. So I text you on the WhatsApp or whatever, and then uh, shortly after, my son who will come from the states, and he sent me this text. And my son just loves to play with emojis. Yeah. So he sent me this text that was like, good morning. And then it was like, apple, 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 shrimp, 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 pineapple, apple. I mean, just like a string of emojis. It's like 150 yes. emojis. That's what my daughter does this. And, yeah. and Justin looks at the phone and goes, what's that? And I go, oh, he just sends emojis sometimes. And he goes, that's not weird? And I go, 
No, I mean, it's not a big deal. He's thinking it's you responding to our text. <laughs> well, hey, because guys. prior to that, he was saying that he was talking with you about some of the details of the trip. And then he goes and starts Man, laughing. What and an shows image. me this text message. What an image you had of me. Of all these emojis. And I'm like, huh? Who, who is this guy that sent you 150? See you soon, XOXO. <laughs> so uh, I, had to, I had to calm down a little bit, explain that you know, Andrew wasn't sending us <laughs> well, hundreds of emojis. Emojis I mean, the, the, he seemed pretty normal from what I could tell. I, I felt good about yeah, it. Yeah, my follow up question after seeing those emojis was, "Hey, how well did you vet this Andrew guy? <laughs> Who is he? What is he?" He texts with the unction of an eight year old. Uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. All right, so yeah, so we, we came to the the banya. Yeah. Yep. Um, really cool place. I mean, we didn't quite know what we were expecting, but I mean, it's a really neat little building, and it's got kind of a little lake outside. So we we went inside, and there's the. I guess the steam room, yeah. steam area. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think it's, like it's important to know, kind of. kind of, you have your own personal space. Yeah. Like this personal cottage dedicated to your rest and Bonnet relaxation. experience. And within the cottage, you got your own showers, you got your own sauna, you got your own resting uh, place, a little bed, uh, a little public place to where you can eat some food and relax. Yep. Uh, and all this is built around a pond that's just outside your doors to where you can really get that you know, heat yourself up in the sauna mm-hmm. and then run out to the pond and jump in. Um, I understand it gets very cold in the wintertime. Yeah, it was pretty tame today, but yeah. yeah. So we got in the, the sauna piece and we threw the water on and they had some kind of flavored water, I guess, is what it was. Yeah, so listeners, uh, in case you're just totally confused about what we're talking about right now, the Russian banya is like one of the centerpiece like uh, places to hang out with Russian people. And it's basically like a sauna. Uh, it's like a steam room. It's very hot, and uh, you s- kind of sweat it out, and then you go jump in a pond, and like basically, it kind of helps regulate um, your body and um, helps clean your pores out. Um, that's basically, and it's basically a three-hour experience you do with your friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we went in. We went into the sauna piece. You had water on. Um, we tried to make it as hot as we could. It was pretty good. We wanted to smoke each other out there. It was, 100, 100 degrees Celsius. Yeah. It, it was warm. It was it was definitely warm. Yeah. Um, but it felt really good. I mean, really nice and hot, and you kind of sweat it out. And then, like they said, you go jump in this pond, <coughs> and it just feels refreshing. Yeah. I mean, and then uh, right when everything starts to feel comfortable, they throw <laughs> you a curveball. <laughs> and they bring out this bushel of leaves and just begin to beat you with it senselessly yes it's the pinnacle for better or worse of the banya experience and it's basically a bunch of dried eucalyptus leaves tied together and it's it's almost like a mini broom and you basically beat people up and down their body with that to really kind of silver sheet is the word i'm looking for in russian uh in english it like accomplishes the cleansing it brings it to it was like it exfoliates your skin there we go you know yeah um opens up those pores and and it makes it hot i mean that 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 brush carries a lot of water in it and heat in it and it's it's hot yeah so we we got did that jump in the lake thing and and it's not just a one-time experience it's like four times i think we did did three maybe four times in and out of the pond back and forth i mean it was it was awesome i feel super relaxed it was awesome yeah yeah, and it's basically just hanging out, doing that. And uh, then um, after the Pinnacle of the Banya experience, um, we didn't cook it ourselves, but we had an amazing platter of shashlik or meat shish kebabs brought to us. 
and we're just sitting here fat and happy right now. And they were amazing. I mean, they were they they were really good. Probably some of the best food we've eaten in the last ten days or whatever. I mean, very very good yeah. meat, chicken and lamb, and yeah, it was awesome. And, yeah. and the scenery around here is great too. I mean, that's something else I'd mentioned. Is you're out in the pond looking at the mountains. I mean, it's just it's a cool experience. There's grapes hanging all over the place. Yeah, really really cool. It's quiet. It's secluded. This yeah, is it's like uh, this is the way. If you come climb Elbrus, this is the way to relax after Elbrus. Listeners, are you convinced yet? Are you coming? <laughs> I would just like to say, Kevin is the ideal Caucasus talk listener because not only does he listen to our podcast, he came to the Caucasus. He climbed Elbrus. Then he took us up on our offer and came and hung out with us and did the banya and shashlik with us. And then, actually, after, after our time hanging out today, he's actually doing a tour, he and Justin, in St. Petersburg and Moscow through uh, the tour company that I work for, Beyond Red Square. So, like, man, Kevin, like, you just have all these great qualities. Perfect. Um, yes. I've always, I've always wanted to be the best podcast listener I could be. I'm glad I've reached that point. We're looking for more Kevin and Justins. If you're out there, we, uh, we promise, like, we promise if you come, we want to hang out with you, help give you a good Caucasus experience. Yeah. So one, one thing I would just add is, you know, I know a lot of time at the end of the podcast, you ask, you know, what's, what's something you would tell people about the Caucasus? I was about to ask you. Oh, I'm, I'm beating you to it. See, I yeah. listen to these. You can tell. You knew what was coming. And, you know, I've thought about this question a lot and, you know, Really, for me, it's it's that there's a lot of bad press out there about the region. Yep. And, I mean, I, I really did come, you know, after a lot of contemplation and reading online and talking to different people. And, yep. and one of the things the podcast really did for me was to just help me realize people just live here. This is this is yep. just a part of the world that yep. people live in and are doing their thing. And, you know, there's there's stuff that's bad everywhere in the world and there's stuff that's good that's everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and my experience here has just been nothing but positive. We've had fantastic time. I mean... Up in the mountains, it was great. People were really friendly. You know, we did a hike through uh, Terskel Valley, and, yep. you know, there was a lot of locals up there. Some of them talked to us. I mean, it, it's just been a really positive experience and one of the most That's beautiful awesome. places I've seen, really, and just really, really underrated part Very of the cool. world. I love that. Justin, is, if you had to, if there was, like, one thing you could tell our podcast listenership about the Caucasus anything come to mind uh just the just the beauty that's all around yeah. uh, the people have been great um you know like Kevin said um the 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 one thing about the area it's you, you just don't feel like you're in a different country you know it feels like I'm just in a different part of the states and I'd constantly tell Kevin that huh. uh we've traveled pretty extensively together and and over the years sometimes you'd feel like hey this isn't a good place that we're we're in uh, but not once has that ever crossed my mind being here in the Caucasus, um, and it's just been an enjoyable. Uh, it's just been an enjoyable trip and very, very relaxing. Awesome, good stuff, man. If that isn't a good advertisement for the North Caucasus, <laughs> I don't know what is. Well, Kevin and Justin, uh, thanks for joining us today, and uh, I hope you're the first of a wave of Caucasus Talk listeners who. Uh, I was about to say avalanche into the the Caucasus, but that's not right. <laughs> Crash into the North Caucasus Mountains. Come to the Caucasus. Come yeah. climb Elbrus. <clears throat> awesome. Andrew, my hat's off to you. My my singular hat. Hat off to you for an awesome interview. And thank you um, to our very own Kevin, our yeah. first contact on email. That was great. It was awesome. Um, sadly, very sadly, they they are um, not going to be followed by a, a large mass visit of Caucus Talk listeners. <laughs> uh, 
to it our sounds great... like I'm laughing right now, but I'm actually crying. It's there's actually tears streaming. <laughs> to our to our great disappointment, we did not get the groundswell of interest in a February trip to Russia that we had hoped for. <laughs> For the Caucus Talk adventure, so I think I was hacked. I'm looking into it. Ooh, so <laughs> we're just gonna uh, call that a wash and say let's try again. Let's try again. So no trip for February, at least not for you guys. Andrew and I are gonna go to the mountains and just go sip hot chocolate up in the Alpine wilderness and think of all the people who wish they were with us. But it's true. Yeah, it doesn't um, mean we're not gonna try again in the future. But yeah. we're just going to put it on hold for now. You know how in real estate they say the most Im- top three important things are location, location, location? Well, it just could be that advertising trips, the top most three things could be timing, timing, timing. So ah. I, think, I think you'll hear from us again on a resuscitated version of Caucus Talk Adventure. Listen, in the words of one of my favorite Tony Braxton songs. From Immortal the words if we're talking Tony Braxton. Let's go. If at first you don't succeed, <laughs> dust yourself off and try again. You can uh, dust it off and try again. Try again. That's it. Speaking <laughs> of tears running down faces, but I'm okay. I'll pull myself together. I'll well, we've to now ruined this by quoting both Tony Braxton and Bette Midler in one episode i don't know what's wrong with us please hashtag tony braxton (laughs) yeah Uh, please uh do reach out uh if you're traveling through the area or if you just want to email us at podcast at caucustalk.com uh we love hearing from you uh reach out to us on our facebook page uh like us click the links all that good stuff and uh if you really do actually like it we'd love to see a review on itunes that's right Um, yeah so Thanks for listening. This was episode 31 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus mountains of Russia. And notwithstanding the momentary pause on the Caucus Talk adventure, we will see you (laughs) when you get it.